That's how that song's supposed to be done. <laughs> if anybody was at the feast with us last year. Okay, our second message this afternoon is from Mr. Lawrence Gregory. It is entitled, Bread of Affliction. Lawrence? Well, why are we here today? On a school day? A work day? The second day of the week for some, but in reality it's the third day of the week, Sunday being the first day, Monday the second, and today Tuesday the third. So we're going to answer that question of why we're here today from a couple of scriptures that we're very familiar with. The first one being in Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, verse 4 through 8. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, holy commanded assemblies, which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. In the fourteenth day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread unto the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. In the first day, that's today, you shall have an holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord seven days. In the seventh day, next Monday, is an holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. So we see we are commanded by God to be here. That's why we are here today, those of us who have been called and told to be here. Or somewhere in assembly, if possible, uh, or in our dwellings, if it's not possible, to observe and recognize this day. Then, in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, we're so familiar with this, verse 7, Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. Remember that. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Therefore we're told, let us keep the feast, New Testament Christians. We are to keep this feast seven days, plus the Passover makes eight days. Now, we know uh, surrounding the Passover uh, season, there are so many lessons, probably more than most of the other holy days uh, throughout the year. And in past years, we've examined them in detail. Uh, we've had uh, previous charts showing the exodus, the route, of the children of Israel out of Egypt, their wilderness wanderings, and many, many uh, examples and types and lessons from those 40 years of wilderness journeys. The crossing of the Red Sea, when and where that occurred. Uh, the uh, many metaphors, lessons, and types from leaven or unleavened and the significance of that. And many things that God did in deliverances, many miracles that He did for them. Plus, you know, the sins and the griping and the complaining and the problems and the wars and the things that went on for those uh, 40 years that the children of Israel experienced. But all of that time God was leading them and protecting and providing and uh, uh, helping them on their journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. Now, before we get into the topic of today's message of Bread of Affliction, I want to cover a couple of scriptures, a few scriptures that uh, uh, seemed a little confusing because of a few things that have been said recently 
want to just uh, uh, cover those scriptures and clear up some things. So let's go back to Exodus, the 12th chapter, verse 40. We know Exodus 12, verse 40. And uh, we know this Exodus 12 as the Exodus chapter, uh, telling about how they left Egypt and uh, prepared uh, their... Uh, unleavened bread. And in verse 40, Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day it came to pass, that all the host of the Lord went out from the land of Israel. Now, on first reading here, it looks like they were in Egypt for 430 years. And this confuses a lot of people. They were not. They were not in Egypt 430 years. I'm going to show you they were there 215 years. Now, if you have a different translation than King James without the parentheses and commas, you're probably going to have uh, some other uh, translations that are going to say they were in Egypt 430 years. So you've got to discount that. Look at the translation here, verse 40 from the King James. Now the sojourning of the children of Israel, comma, who dwelt in Egypt, comma, was 430 years. 430 years from what? Okay, now I hope that with Brian's help we've got some charts that we're going to be able to uh, put up here. And uh, let's turn to first to Galatians, the third chapter in the New Testament. And we'll read Galatians 3, verse 17. Now, if you read the surrounding verses, it's talking about the promises that God made to uh, us and to Abraham, and then the covenant and the law, and uh, reading in verse 17. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. So we're talking about two things here. We're talking about the covenant that, if you look in the earlier verses here, to Abraham, verse 16, and his seed were the promises made. So the promise that God made to Abraham, and then the Ten Commandments, the giving of the law, as they left Egypt, there's 430 years between those two. And Reading on verse 18, For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So we serve the law because uh, it's uh, the righteousness and obedience, but we are saved by promise as we enter into that covenant. So you've got two things going on here in these uh, couple of verses. Now, let's go back to Genesis, the 12th chapter. Genesis 12. And uh, this is the call of Abraham when he was 75 years of age. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, uh, can you put the uh, chart up of um, Genesis? Okay. Uh, see right here this, I don't know if you can read this. Uh, now, Usher in the 1600s of the Irish church bishop, 
spend a lot of time working out a chronology that is generally accepted. Now, most Bibles, except some of even some of your King James Bibles, do not use Usher's chronology or have any chronology. So Usher's chronology, like in my National Bible and some other Bibles, you have the chronology. And so uh, you have here when, uh, if you can see this, this chapter here, 1921, when God called Abraham and told him to get out. Now let me read a few verses here. Uh, get out from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house unto a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless him that bless you and curse him that curses you, and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. And verse uh, 7 uh, the Lord appeared unto Abraham, unto your seed will I give this land, and there built he an altar. Verse 8, And he removed from thence into a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel in the west, and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. And so Abraham worshipped God, and God promised him in 1921, uh, put, put the next chart up, uh, A2. Okay, so if you take 1921 and subtract 430 years, you're going to come to 1491, the date of the Exodus. 1491, 40 years, entry into the Promised Land, 1451. So Abraham, now here's another way to go. Abraham was 75. When he went into Canaan then, when he was about 100 years of age, couple of scriptures is about, one says 99, and then about when he was 100 years old, Isaac was born. When Isaac was 25 years old, uh, then Jacob was born. And, uh, uh, no, pardon me, Isaac was born when uh, Abraham was there 25 years, and then Jacob was born to Isaac when he was 60 years of age. And then Jacob came into Israel, I mean into Egypt, when he was 130 years of age. So 130 and 60 and 25 is 215 years. So from the time of Abraham to when Jacob went into Egypt, where Joseph was, was 215 years. Then you can take other chronology and other dates and trace the time up to the Exodus now, like for example, uh, okay, let's go to the other charts. Go to Genesis, the 46th chapter. That shows that um, Genesis 46, verse 1, Israel, or Jacob, took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices unto the God of his father Isaac, and uh, verse uh, 3, he said, I am God, the God of your fathers. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of you a great nation. I will go down with you into Egypt. And uh, he went, and his sons, and his sons' sons, and his, all of his daughters, and all of his seed brought he into uh, Egypt. So Jacob went down to Egypt, and if you'll See, the chronology here is, uh, well, we don't have it up there. 
1706. Okay. Now, there's another way to count this. Deuteronomy, the 34th chapter. Verse 7. This is in the 40th year of the wilderness trek. In 1451 B.C. it says, Moses was 120 years old when he died. Then if you go back to Exodus, the second chapter, Exodus 2, Don't worry about those charts, uh, Brian, unless you've... Oh, you've got them up there? Okay. Uh, Exodus 2. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to his his wife a daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, saw that he was a goodly child, and hid him. And then in verse 11, it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown. So what I wanted to uh, show you was here the... Date 1571 was when Moses was born. So if you take 120 from 1571, you'll come up to 1451 B.C., the 40th year. Moses died the last year just before they went into the Promised Land. Now, I know in studying this for many, many years, there are a lot of chronologies that are sometimes hundreds of years off, and it won't fit. So... What we have is from the time of the promise to Abraham until the uh, Exodus in 1491 was 430 years. They were 215 years before Jacob came down into Egypt. They were in Egypt 215 years, making a total of 430 years from the time of the promise to Abraham to the Exodus. Now, let me say this. Sometimes people, well, 250 years... How could they have 600,000 men and maybe with women and children, maybe a million and a half? But if you look at this logistically, there were 70 of them that came down into Egypt. And if you take God blessed and told them to multiply and, and you look at Adam when he had a few sons only that we have named, but it says Adam lived almost 930 years and had sons and daughters, and every one of those had sons and daughters for hundreds of years. You can take, uh, women can have many, many children. Twins, triplets, more, year after year after year. Uh, you know, some women have, uh, even in modern times, 15, 20, 30 children. And you multiply that over uh, the uh, time frame, you can see that it's possible to have close to a couple of million people, even the time of the flood, 1,656 years from Adam to Noah, there would have been untold hundreds of millions and maybe even billions of people on this earth in 1,656 years. You can take your calculator and calculate that out and, and you can see uh, that that's entirely possible. So, now, keeping that in mind, let's come to the uh, message and the topic today. First opening scripture is in Deuteronomy, the 16th chapter. 
and observe, verse 1, observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover unto the Lord your God for in the month of Abib the Lord God brought you forth out of Egypt by night, that is on the 15th, not the 14th. You shall therefore sacrifice a Passover unto the Lord your God on the of the flock and the herd in the place which the Lord shall choose to place his name. You shall eat no leavened bread with it seven days shall you eat unleavened bread therewith, even the bread of affliction. For you came out forth out of the land of Egypt in haste, that you may remember the day when you came forth out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. And there shall be no leaven seen with you uh, in your coast for seven days. And then they were to, uh, verse 8, uh, have on the seventh day. They eat unleavened bread six days, and then on the seventh day, uh, they would have a solemn assembly unto the Lord. So we've covered that before. Now, a couple of things on these words here. A couple of them, when they went out in haste, the word haste has several applications in the scriptures, if, you, if you'll search this out. One is uh, to uh, go out uh, quickly, to suddenly, to move, to start up uh, suddenly. And also, it has another meaning that's used of fear and tremble and trepidation like we have uh, Steve Trimble here today. Okay, that's Steve Haste is his name in English. <laughs> so they went out in an unknown. They went out with fear and trembling and trepidation, and that's why on the Passover night they were told to be dressed and, and to burn the Passover the next morning, to stay in their homes, not to go out. So they went out in the daytime. They got ready, and they... Uh, spoiled the Egyptians, and then they went out by night on the beginning of the 15th. They went out by night, and they camped that night, and they had a great uh, hilarity and uh, uh, worship and a praise at night, and so for seven days. So the total spring Holy Day Passover season is eight days. Passover and seven days of unleavened bread, just like in Tabernacles, the 15th and 21st Holy Days. Now, after uh, in the scriptures, we take, and you'll see this is used, sometimes an estimated number that's rounded up or rounded down to the nearest closest number. Like you have uh, when Jesus fed about 5,000. How many did he feed? 4,997 or 5,003? It says about 5,000. About midnight. About sunset. Abraham was about 100 years old. And another verse says he was 99. Uh, so about 400, a couple of times the scriptures talks about uh, they were sojourning about 400 years. So about 400 years is 430 exactly. Just like uh, we might say, how many did we have here last night? Uh, we had about what? Latona? About 70? Do you have an exact account? Okay. So we had about 60 people or about 60 people, but exactly there was 59 because there's an about person running around here somewhere. Uh, <laughs> half, a, half a person. It's just an about, you know, or an approximate. There's an approximate person around here somewhere. So we know that sometimes the scriptures round up. So if you read that they were there uh, like in uh, Genesis, the 15th chapter, verse 3, or Acts 7, when, when uh, Stephen's talking, he says there were about, you know, it was 400 years. 
It was exactly 430 years. Now, they were told while we're here in Deuteronomy uh, to uh, go out in haste. And uh, the word also, this afflicted, the bread of affliction. This is what it means. It means depression, misery, trouble, looking down oneself, browbeating, chasing self, deal harshly with self, abase self. So this bread of affliction that uh, they were to eat is going to still bring trouble. Now, we've got to remember two things as we go through this message today. I want to take it from two perspectives. Now, if you, if you back up to Exodus, the first chapter, we'll see that uh, Israel and Egypt in uh, verse 11, Egypt therefore did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Pythom and Ramesses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they greed because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with vigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and brick and all so forth. So we know that they were abused and beaten down and afflicted and they had trouble and trials and tests while they were in bondage. And in uh, uh, verse 8, uh, no, uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to skip that. Let's go to Exodus the 16th chapter here. Exodus the 16th chapter. I'm going to have to amend some of these verses, I think, here. Uh, but uh, let's go, I think, Exodus 16. Brian, if you can keep up with me. Or you might be ahead of me already. Uh, verse 1, And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departure out of the land of Egypt. Now, if you have the... Usher's chronology, you'll have uh, 1491 in your chronology. But it was the first month, remember, the first month of the Exodus. They're leaving. And uh, the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and we did eat bread to the full. For we have, you've brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So already a month with unleavened bread. Now, you know, the way they did, they, they took their, their kneading troughs, their head bowls, their big bowls that, that they put their flour and water and sugar, and, and not sugar, salt in, and they mixed that up. Then they would add the leavening and let it rise. And, and I can remember, and, and many of you um, cooks and women know that uh, you take uh, some of that leavened dough pinch it off and keep it and store it back, and then use that as a starter on your next, when you want to make, so you don't have to put fresh yeast or fresh baking powder in all the time. You use that, and for years you can make bread from that starter and just keep doing it, not have to always use new uh, leavening. So they went out in haste, 
They didn't leaven their bread. They had their kneading troughs, their bowls with them. They had their flour and water. And they left their yeast behind. And uh, now they're complaining. We had bread to the full. Now notice what God answers them. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they walk in my law or not. And so God is going to provide manna and quail uh, bread, and he's going to provide meat for them. And so he answered their uh, complaint. And uh, verse 12, I have heard the murmuring of the children of Israel speaking to them, saying, at even you shall eat flesh, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. And he called this manna bread. And you shall know that I am the Lord. It came to pass in the quail and the bread, uh, and uh, the manna came, and they gathered. And so, now, Leviticus, the 26th chapter, and verse 5. God promised again, he's talking about the uh, earlier chapters, when you come into the, he says this several times, when you become into the land, into the promised land. So they're looking forward 40 years in the future. When they're going to come, they don't know it's going to be 40 years, but when they come into the future, they're going to have wheat and grain and barley, and they're going to be able to uh, have rain in due season. The land shall yield her increase. The trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall reach unto the vintage. And the vintage shall reach unto the sowing time, and you shall eat your bread to the full, and dwell in the land safely, and you'll lie down in peace, and none will make you afraid. And so God even is promising them, when you come into the promised land, you're going to be able to have bread to the full. So stop your complaining right now about this, and eat this, uh, this uh, bread of affliction that I've given you, this, this uh, unleavened manna that's unleavened. It's... And there's many lessons about manna and the true bread of being Christ and all of that. And we've, we've looked at that before and everything, but we don't want to uh, take time to do that now. Okay, Deuteronomy, the 23rd chapter. Deuteronomy 23, verse 3 and 4. Uh, let me begin in verse 1. I know I don't have it on the chart, but let me read verse 1. He that is wounded in the stones or has his privy member cut off shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. A bastard shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to his tenth generation shall he not enter into the congregation of the Lord. An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. Because they met you not with bread and with water in the way when you came forth out of Egypt, and because they hired against you Baal and the son of Beor, a Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse them. And in Deuteronomy 29, verse 5 and 6, God said uh, in verse 4, Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive, and ears to see, and ears to hear unto this day. And I have led you forth, I've led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes are not waxen old upon you, and your shoe is not waxen old upon your foot. You have not eaten bread, neither have you drunk wine or strong drink, that you may know that I, the Lord, am your God. Now, 
40 years, they didn't have bread from anywhere. They didn't have any leavening. They didn't have any uh, change of clothes. They didn't have to worry about that. And their shoes for 40 years lasted. Where and how could they observe all the holy days without leaven, without bread? Because on Pentecost, you know, they're supposed to put leaven in the loaves. Okay. We'll leave that for later. Perhaps they observed them symbolically and as close as they could to the reality, not having leavening, so they couldn't have the loaves on Pentecost. But this is here in the last year, 1451, just as they're ready to go in, and God is preparing them for the time when they're going to have a bountiful harvest. And you can go into Joshua and see what happened when they crossed over at Passover time, and they put off the old corn, and they ate the new corn, the new grain, the new harvest, and they had leavened bread after that, after the days of unleavened bread, and they could go back to eating their regular bread. Now, let's go to, uh, let me see, yeah. Numbers 21, 4, and 5. And they journeyed from... Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against Moses and against God and Moses. Wherefore have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loathes this light bread. Now, this is a couple of years before they're ready to go into the promised land, 38 years. They've been having that manna for 38 years. They're getting sick and tired of this light bread. And they're complaining and they're griping about it. Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter. There are so many wonderful verses in here, we won't be able to look at all of them, but 1 through 3, all the commandments which I command you this day shall ye observe. Now he's, Deuteronomy, he's repeating the law in 1451 B.C., after 40 years, before they're going into the promised land, before Moses died up on Mount Pisgah, he's repeating the law and they're going uh, in review of many experiences and lessons. Uh, you shall observe to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord spake, swear unto your fathers. And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, to prove you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and suffered you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you know not, Neither did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, I love bread. I'm a bread eater. I, I eat a lot of bread. And I found out that you can even uh, take the uh, matzos and uh, toast it and warm it up a little bit. You just don't leave it there too long or you'll have smoke alarms going off. But... Uh, you take your matzos, put it in your toaster, warm it up, put your butter on it. It works real good, toasted. Just, just don't burn it. 
too much. I like, I like it kind of burned, but not really charcoal, okay? And uh, continue on in verse uh, 5 and 6. Uh, you shall also consider in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. Therefore you shall keep the commandment of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God brings you into a good land, a land of brooks and waters, of fountains of depths that sprang out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil and honey, a land wherein you shall eat bread without scarceness. You shall not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you may dig brass. And uh, let's see, there are uh, a number of other verses uh, about lessons and repeating, uh, about uh, he fed you in the wilderness with manna, verse 16. Uh, the fathers didn't know that, that he might humble you, that he might prove you to do you good at the latter end. And a uh, person would say in their heart, well, I'm, I'm, you know, strong and I've done all of these things and everything, but uh, verse 18, you shall not you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He that gives you power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant with you. If you do all these things, don't forget God, then He'll bless us. Now, remember this. The Holy Day starts with a new year. They were going to have to start when they went into the promised land. They were going to have to start with a new leavened lump. They were going to be unleavened in Egypt they were in bondage but this bread of affliction this manna this light bread that is we'll see here uh, a new way of life it still has its trouble and its afflictions and its difficulties so now I'm going to lead into that here uh, in Psalm 34 uh, remember the hardships when we were in bondage trials test Tribulation, that's the world going in, what we went through then, before, when we were in bondage, in sin, Egypt. Now, in Psalm 34, and um, verse 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Let me ask you, us believers in Christ, do we have problems? We have trials? We have difficulties? We have troubles and persecution? There's more and more beginning, isn't it? Well, don't we have the true bread? Aren't we? Partaking of the unleavened bread of Christ who is sincerity and whose truth and there's no wickedness. And think of all those metaphors that leavening is a type of false teachings, sin, wickedness, malice, insincerity, lies. And the contrast, the unleavening is contrasted as truth and pure and sincere, uh, sincere and uh, Christ as we portray him here in Psalm, now we're leading up to that Psalm, um, no, go to Isaiah 53. 
Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He has brought us a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Now, did Jesus Christ have troubles and trials and difficulties and persecution and opposition and difficulty? Yes, he did. Did he suffer as no man suffered? Yes, he did. Okay, then did he say if he experienced those things, then wouldn't we also? So just because Israel was in bondage and afflicted in sin, and then when they came out of it and they started eating unleavened bread, they weren't immune to difficulties and hardships and trials and tests and persecution. They traded the one bondage for the bondedness and the servanty to Jesus Christ. So we have transferred our, and through our calling and the promise and the blessings of God, out of the Egyptian bondage into, and I'll use this word, bondage and slavery to Jesus Christ and to God the Father. We've transferred our righteousness to Him. And we have the promise that we and, and uh, Paul explains in Galatians it, it, that he was talking about. It wasn't just a uh, plurality of promises to seeds, but it was to the singular seed to Christ. Because in Christ we inherit all things. We receive inheritance through Christ. We are able to inherit eternal life, inherit this earth, through the promise that was given to Abraham. So this is all a, a long study that we're just kind of paraphrasing a little bit right here now and hope I'm not confusing you any, but just to remember that we're children of promise to inherit the kingdom, to inherit eternity, and we've transferred our bondage of sin into now servitude to God the Father through the Spirit and that our righteousness is there. In Psalm 119, move uh, back there a little bit to Psalm 119. And verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept your word. We had a lot of trouble in the world, difficulties and frustrations. Now we have God's blessings and His peace. We didn't have before, necessarily, unless, you know, God in His providential dealing and calling and knew that He was going to call us and worked out some things in our life, unbeknownst to us, to, to bring us to the point where we would be responsive to His calling and leading. We, we know that. We, we can look back on our life and we can say, you know, now I can see why I did that, what I did then. I can see why I was there then and I was 
tuned into the radio here or I came across the Bible or literature, I, I can see now in how God was working in my life even back then to call me and to shake me up and to beat me down and, and to go through all those trials and tests and tr till, till I was willing to respond to his call and change my life. Now that I've responded and am changed, I still have difficulties and troubles. This is why, brothers, so sometimes believers give up and quit. They're still not holding true to God and His calling and His testing. And his, because God is, He's wanting to prove something to us and to Him. That whatever we're experiencing in this life, we're going to stay faithful and firm and secure. And we're not going to gripe and complain and be word about what's going on in our life. But we're going to accept it because we know God is doing something marvelous and wonderful in our life. Now we're going to uh, proceed. In 2 Corinthians, New Testament, we're going to close here with uh, a few more references. And uh, let's see, I want to go to 2 Corinthians, the first chapter. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. Now. Uh, I didn't go through the, word, uh, the words in the Hebrew and the Greek uh, fully. You can take your uh, reference books and chase those out. Uh, the, the word for affliction in the New Testament in Greek uh, is philibus uh, or thelesis, uh, uh, however you pronounce it. It's the same thing as the word is trouble, uh, translated in English tribulation. Many times... It's the same Greek word is translated in different English words. We know that. So, God who comforts us in all our affliction or all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted. Uh, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And in 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, verse, uh, beginning in verse 8, Paul is explaining about what we're experiencing as uh, Christians being called out of this world. We are troubled on every we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. 
For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Drop down to verse 16. For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, light affliction? Some of us have some pretty heavy affliction, don't we, in our Christian life. We have burdens that we have to bear. Maybe it's a handicap. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's persecution. Is it light? Well, it is, it seems pretty heavy at times, almost like we were back in Egypt again under that Egyptian bondage of sin. But we still have afflictions as Christians. Continuing on here. Um, Yeah, uh, verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so, closing scripture, Acts, 14th chapter. Now, this is something today's message we need to think about and consider and uh, understand more fully what God is doing and why He's doing what He's doing in our life. Acts 14, verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in faith, in the faith, in the faith, and that we must through much tribulation, through much affliction, enter into the kingdom of God. When we accept Jesus Christ, when God calls us to His church, it doesn't just suddenly get exactly 100 degrees, 180 degrees opposite, and everything is wonderful and peaceful. Yes, we have blessings, but He is leading us. He is with us. He will not deny us. He is in all those afflictions that we are experiencing in life. So, brethren, don't get discouraged, by the way, and, and don't give up, and, and, and don't uh, quit because we have these problems and trials and tests even now in our, in our Christian walk. So in closing, what are the lessons God wants us to learn, some of them from this bread of affliction that we've been talking about today? One, they're to teach us humility, dependence, to prove, test, try us, to see where our heart is. Now, I didn't go into all those scriptures. We've, we've done that in many times past and others' messages about those in Deuteronomy and why God took them in the wilderness 40 years 
and uh, we, we know that from previous uh, studies that we've all had. Second thing is to help us grow in our dependence on Him and keep close to Him. So we have a trial or test and it drives us to Him so that we'll stay close to Him and look to Him and not try to work it out all on our own. To help us remember the lessons of our past and look forward to sharing the true bread of life. We know that we've uh, been told, you know, to remember all this way and to look forward because you've not gone this way before. There's new experiences ahead. But we have God's dealings with us in the past as a record and a proof that He'll be with us in the future. And not only that, He's given us hope and faith to know that we can look forward to the future when we're going to be able to inherit all of the promises of God free from this mortality of this body that restricts and experience all these things that we do in the flesh. Fourth, to not murmur, complain for our trouble. He suffered troubles of all kinds for us. We put Him on. We're to be like Him. He bears with us. And so we're to bear with Him in our affliction. Now we know that we are a new lump. We're a new creature in Christ. You see, in the wilderness journeys in repeating, they didn't have any leavening. Their bread was unleavened, and all they had was manna. And after a little bit of time, the, the wheat and the bread that they took out in unleavened bread and their kneading troughs, they ate that up. So you've got maybe one, or one, to, one to three million people out in the wilderness with no wheat, no barley, no grain. They can't get it from the neighboring uh, nations. They didn't give them bread or wheat or water. We read that. So all they've got is this manna. Now when they go into the new land of promise, they've got to start a new loaf. They've got to begin anew. So we learn some of these lessons of significance. Now, leaven in itself is not sin. We know it's only a type because even leaven itself is used in a positive application in the scripture where the kingdom of God spreads its leaven. You know, leaven, it spreads and it works. And that's a positive. There are positive things about leaven. So we don't want to spend too much time on that. Our bread of affliction. The leaven that we have, we know from metaphors and, and types, the physical leaven has spiritual metaphors and types. False teaching, wickedness, malice, vanity, puffing up, worldliness, sin, insincerity, lies. And the contrary to that, the contrast of the unleavening is the opposite of that, is truth and sincerity and true teaching. And so we can, we can uh, get that metaphor and, and the comparison as I've kind of hammered that home here today in repeating it several times. Closing. Our bread of affliction if endured, will be to our good now and for the latter end of our life and for eternity.